Welcome to the Free Range Buffalo. Break free from the herd. Today's episode will be the first in our series of standing on the shoulders of giants. What this is, is really a look at the great masters of our past who have overcome the big challenges of their day. And just to see if we can learn from them about how to overcome our challenges that we have in our day. Uh, today joining me is my co-host for the series, Michael Morris. Hey, Mike. Hey, Bryce. So, ready to have some fun? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I thought for the uh, for the first one, I th- thought we'd do, I mean, there's so many masters uh, that I, lo- I look to. I mean, uh, Martin Luther King, JFK, I mean, that whole era in the 60s, you mean, it's just mind-blowing. FDR, I mean, the, the power of American rhetoric is impressive. Um, but I thought uh, to start this off, I thought we'd go to the the man who uh, who really doesn't know an equal, and that's that's Winston Churchill. Uh, so he gave a speech in the in the early uh, days of uh, World War II, and he was ta- he was a, it was a cry for arms uh, for Britain, and uh, and he gave those speeches not just for the British people, but also for continental Europe and for the Americans. He I mean, he knew. His audience, and, and he was trying to, he was like one of the first ones to be a mass broadcaster. So, I'd like to play a clip uh, from the beginning of that speech and just we'll see where that goes and, and why that speaks to us uh, in today's era. All right. Alexander the Great remarked that the peoples of Asia were slaves because they had not learned to pronounce the word no. Let that not be the epitaph of the English-speaking people or of parliamentary democracy. Yeah. I. They were born to be slaves because they didn't learn to use the word no. Uh, you know, I, I, that really resonates with me. You know, we're especially as a Canadian. I mean, it's just almost unheard of to say the word no. Uh, and what we seem to be so enamored with trying to please everyone uh, that, that we tend to be willing to give up everything in, in, on the altar of being polite. I believe pl- politeness can get in the way. The... Standing for no would be more. What do you stand for? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you have the ability to say no, you know what you stand for, and you know where that no lies. It's, right. It's not about being polite. It's about not pushing beyond that line in the sand because you can be agreeable or amenable to something. Yeah. But having that standard is that's when you stand up and say no. And I think that's what Churchill's talking about in that speech. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that triggers something in me is, you know, something that's resonated. Uh, I, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I invented it. Um, I'm sure I picked it up somewhere, but I can't give credit to it. But um, this is something I've lived by where you, where it says, if you tolerate everything, you stand for nothing. And that, and that goes back to that no statement. If no is one of the most powerful words, because if I'm willing to say no to you, that, that's a challenge to power. That's saying, I'm going to stand up 
to you because you're ask, you're obviously asking something from me or demanding, requiring something from me, and you're going to take something from me. And I either say yes in agreeance, which is can be seen as a sign of meekness or sign of uh, of weakness. Not always, but you know, but when you're dealing with someone who is strong arming you, that's not a moral virtue to surrender those things because you don't want to have a conflict because you will then soon run out of things to give. Whereas if, like you said, there's, you, you need to be clear on what you do stand for. You need to have those clear red lines, those, those lines in the sand. And when you say no, you're going to then stand up for those things and Oh my goodness! You might even have to fight for something. So, yeah. So, so let me ask you though. Let that not be the epitaph of the English-speaking world. Like, d- does that resonate to you today, or 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 is this a, some throwback to the '30s, to that, to the buildup of World War II? I mean, I mean, was it, is this some bygone age, or does that still resonate? Well, we have to look at where it's coming from. And at that time, Churchill, the threat was from continental Europe, specifically Nazi Germany. Yeah, yeah. And now it's it's coming from within. Yeah. So the English speaking world is is eating itself. It's Saturn eating its baby. Is is what I believe is happening right now. Yeah, Saturn eating its baby. Uh, Here, I'm going to give you a chance to explain that. Uh, Roman uh, myth. Oh, I will do a poor job of it. That's uh, okay. For anyone listening who's actually an expert in uh, Roman mythology, please uh, feel, forgive f- me. F- feel free to uh, write an email. Uh, I won't give you the email address because uh, it's going to be awkward. Go ahead, please. My understanding of it is uh, Saturn was was a powerful being and uh, had a son, but the son was becoming an increasing threat to him. So rather than let him grow up and, and usurp Saturn, he ate the baby uh, to eliminate the threat. That's my understanding of it. I'm probably, could be far off. No, no, I think, I mean, um, it's been bandied about here in the last uh, uh, couple of weeks. I think most definitely on the um, on the political um, talk shows, uh, that metaphor of Saturn eating babies. So it's not the first time it's been bandied about, but it actually, it speaks to an ancient archetype, eh? Of, um, um, they do this, it's like um, kind of a uh, Grimm's take on it would be like like the witch eating Hansel and Gretel, mm. um, where there's the, the, the luring in of, uh, uh, of the innocence and devouring them. Uh, so Saturn in the, in the Roman mythology, and uh, there's... Oh, forgive me. I can't can't recall the Greek one, but they all talk to this theme of being so afraid of the of the next generation that they mm. eat themselves. I mean, it's it's an, as a matter of fact, the whole Greek mythology, which is the basis of the Roman mythology, uh, is that the Titans who created the gods, who the gods, so the gods themselves are the children of the Titans. Um, they they rebel against the Titans. They have an, a cosmic war and they're imprisoned. So it's actually really baked into. The Greeks and, and of course the Greeks being one of the foundational cultures of of our own society. So well, it happens nowadays, and you see it. I saw it actually in time, but you see it now in the public media mm. with the millennials and OK Boomer mm. 
I saw oh, a, yeah. okay boomer yeah yeah I saw a slide in Toronto and it was uh, talking about generations yeah and it showed a uh, time magazine from each decade from the 60s 70s 80s 90s mm. even now and each one at a period in in that era had what's up with today's generation they're lost they're never going to be anything they'll never mm. amount to anything I think it's a very natural thing. I think it's twofold. One in the media is, is it sets people off against each other. Which, which is always the brilliant way to sell uh, your, your, your media product. Well, and, and it happens more and more. And, and the more we come to understand about people and human nature, the more uh, people that want to exploit it are, are able to. And we're seeing that in social media and things. Uh, I think the other thing with intergenerational is we... You, uh, we as a people become established, and and you grew up in a certain time, right? Uh, and technology evolves, and ideas evolve, and change, and morph over that time. Mm-hmm. And who has the most new ideas, or the uh, the new ways of thinking, because they haven't been indoctrinated about the old ways of thinking, are the younger generations. So, I I was having a think about this, and and that's and really clever. You you brought that up. Okay, see, I have these. These intergenerational. So, you know, going back to the Churchill thing, okay, say, saying no. And now we have this, uh, we're eating ourselves. Um, and I think because, you know, a lack of understanding of really what we are. So this, this, yes. um, this, this loss, this uh, being unmoored, which actually is one of the reasons why you and I are even sitting here because we're trying to broaden our commonalities, our common discourse, trying to find ways and re-educate all of us about how, our society actually has come to be so we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I, but I had this thought about, uh, the, uh, the, these, these different, uh, generations and it's really I'm trying to get it to before it, it, it slips away. The different generations are, are, they are rebelling against each other, but really what it is is that the older generation has, they're no longer possibilities. They're actualities. They're, they're and and they're and they're set, but 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 they're firm. They're they're like the older generations are always the foundation, okay? And 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 they're they're the ones that 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 we we have to build everything upon. That that's why in all cultures the elderly are are, are seen as the wise. That even the elder statesmen. These are the people that you go to for sage advice. They're supposed to be the ones to offer the wise counsel. But the younger generations, they're not actualities. They're possibilities. It also makes, but they're unmoored. They don't have the foundation, but what they are is creative. They're inventive because they have to be because they don't understand what they, even the culture that they even exist in. They're not even, a, they're maybe a product of it, but they don't understand it. But that's, that's necessary in order for them to be more creative. And that's why they have this rebelling against the, um, the elder generation because they don't understand. That's true. But it's also why when, they go through their own life cycle as, as they reach into the, into the middle age and they've, and they've gone through and they've taken the responsibilities of their community and their own, and they become less possibility and more actuality. Then they become less creative and they become more, more set because that's just the nature of their, of their life cycle. And wouldn't it be something if we could all understand that because then you'd stop being so resentful Instead of saying, okay, boomer, yes, of, of course 
baby boomers have, have blind spots. So does the, the, the generation that preceded them, the greatest generation ever. Of course, you know, we can talk about Don Cherry having some massive blind spots and able to you know, live and function and articulate within our, our society. That's fine. Well, it's only through acting that you can realize, or it's only through acting in hindsight that you can realize the mistakes you might have made. Mm. You, when people don't set out, most people don't set out intentionally to be malicious or to change things. Yep. They seek a solution to a problem that they perceive. Mm. And they come up with the best solution for that. Yeah, you bet. And uh, oh, we have some technical difficulties. No, 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 no we're, we're all good. Um, and I, yeah, I lost my train of thought. No, no, I, uh, it's really, so bringing up, okay, the fact that these intergenerational problems. We also have this fracturing of, of, of our of our society, really into this hyper polarization. Um, we people try to blame the media, like everything. The media is not to blame. The media is just a symptom. They're 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 trying to capitalize on existing fractures, exacerbating it to be sure. But they're also not driving it. But through a a whole series of of events, and people who have been playing with fire or gasoline, however you want to, whatever word metaphor you want to use, we live in a very stratified uh, time of hyper-partisan where we live in these two different realities. And watching, uh, because I'm not part of it, but how I characterize uh, the very hard radical left, the neo-Marxists, and anyone who does, if if you're even dabbling over on the left and you think, well, that doesn't exist, read Karl Marx, and we'll, and we'll do a series on that. Read Karl Marx, and you'll realize what they're doing is actually just repeating what he said, verbatim. And if you want to see how that's ever ended, look at or the they. Soviet look at the Soviet Union. Read read some of the stories that came out of the Soviet Union about the sixty million plus people that died in under that regime it wasn't because they weren't an advanced industrial society that's why marx could never actually be applied correctly because that's always i've heard that argument because it could never be applied correctly in russia because they were already too too backwards that's we applied in a more advanced country like france or germany no 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 that's not what their problem was that wouldn't have worked at that time anyways when the idea was birthed it, it, it it doesn't work ever because it revisionist history it, at best. It, it doesn't take into account uh, the. Well, I would posit is that it doesn't work ever because it doesn't take into account the Mark One human. You know, and 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 for those who are interested, we're going to do a series of uh, called the Incentivized Animal. It's going to take apart uh, a, a lot of those uh, those concepts, and we're going to have some fun playing with that one about why uh, why we why we have capitalism and. Yeah, as as evil and dark as some people think it is, it's it's, it's a pretty hell of a good system for uh, for for driving positive change. But going back, and 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 I think this is this is where I want to strengthen everyone back up and 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 bring people back into Winston Churchill's words. Let that not be our epitaph, that we did not know how to say no. You know, I we can't keep saying yes or nothing at all, just hoping that it goes away. Um, you know, I was listening to a Barbara Kay from the National Post. I had a chance to listen to her talk a couple a uh, couple weeks ago in Calgary, and she talked about how um, you know the opponents 
of classic Western liberal democracy um, are sticking the knife into us, trying to see if they find steel, you know, any, you know, any, any hard resistance, and all they're meeting is mush, and they're going to keep pushing their their blades into us. And it's a, it's a very classic, very graphic um, metaphor. Um, and what Churchill was saying is no, and that's the steel. That's the, that's the armor saying, we're not dealing with this. You you want to try and push us around, push no further. And I, what I and this is one thing I'm really excited to be speaking with you, Mike, and, and go through these things, is if we're not willing and able to say no now, two possibilities will come up. Either we'll get pushed so far that it will be our epitaph and the entire shooting match of classic Western liberal democracy in the English-speaking world will fold and will become a neo-Marxist state which will turn into a house of horrors. Or two, when we finally do say no, it'll be so bloody and violent, it'll be such an overcorrection that we'll lose what we're trying to fight for anyway. So, so Omar from The Wire, every man has to have a code. Mm. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And also the that old saying, uh, they came for the butchers, but I wasn't a butcher, so I said nothing. Yeah. They came for the bankers. And it goes on from there. Yeah. And then when they finally came for me, there's, There's no, no one, one left, left to speak. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So for all of those who are, are uh, brave enough to listen to us, yeah, be, be willing to say no. Say no when you're being pushed around because bullies don't just exist on our schoolyards. Bullies are exist everywhere in our lives because that's what it is to be human. People derive a lot of pleasure by dominating another. And if we want to live in a free, democratic, tolerant society, that means you don't tolerate bullies. Even those who are wrapped up in cloaks of virtue say no. Any, any last words there, Mike? None. <laughs> For all of us here at the Free Range Buffalo, roam free.